Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. We human beings do not take responsibility for what we teach. We speak careless words motivated by self-interest and look the other way when our words, directly or indirectly, cause suffering in the world. It feels good to pretend that we are puzzled by gun violence in the United States, but we all know the truth. If we want to understand American violence, we need only look in the mirror. The teachings we feed our children are utterly corrupt and produce morally repugnant outcomes. In scripture, the problem is easily resolved when we replace our words with the written words of God's instruction. This is how we are made righteous in the Pauline Gospel. When we say what we are commanded to say and it produces what God desires, then there is a chance that God on that day will decide that we are good despite our wickedness because we produced good out of the good treasure of his written wisdom. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 33 to 37. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 296 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We've been talking at length, Richard, about the importance of allowing God's word to control your speech. We have come back to this metaphor in the Gospel of Matthew again and again, that the eye is the lamp of the body. And we have tried to explain that the light in the lamp has to be the light of God's instruction, which then controls how you see the world. But it's more than that. It controls ultimately what you do and what you produce. And we've seen in this section of Matthew how the light that is in the Pharisees has produced suffering. I hearken back to the gentleman who was blind and couldn't speak. And by the same token, because they can't see correctly, when they see a given action among their enemies, they believe it comes from the devil. But when they see the same action from among their own, they think it is a godly action. They are unable to see the root of the issue. They are unable to see the cause of the action correctly. And therefore, they are inconsistent. And as we spoke last time, they blaspheme against the Holy Spirit that allows for the good actions because they're more concerned about tribe and membership and identity 
than they are about consistency with God's law. And so then the question is posed, how do you determine whether something is good? Since obviously the Pharisees can't do so with any accuracy. I mean, they misjudged Jesus. They misjudged the source of the work that he produced and its outcome. So how do you tell? And that's exactly what Matthew is addressing here in verse 33 forward. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. The Pharisees are incapable of correlating the tree and the fruit. They don't see that the fruit comes from something, that the fruit has to be consistent with whatever tree it comes from. So when they see the fruit as actions that seem good, they can ascribe willy-nilly whatever source they want to it. And it's significant that right after Jesus talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, he talks about simple consistency. People want to make such a big deal out of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I mean, you have the YouTube videos where people declare that the Holy Spirit is not God or whatever, just to make fun of the Bible. The people who make it a big deal and are trembling, wondering if they're committing this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, they're off base as well. The action is either good or bad, and you don't have the right to dig down and get into the psychology of the person. It's either good fruit or bad fruit, which comes from a good tree or a bad tree, and that's all you can really understand. This also comes from Matthew, the author of the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't tell if someone is good or not because all their virtuous actions they're supposed to hide human beings are incapable of understanding what the root of the matter is. All they can see is the fruit, and then if it's good fruit, you ascribe a good source to it, and then you keep moving. You don't have time to psychoanalyze whatever the person was thinking when they decided to do that thing. The funny thing about verse 33 is that people accept it as intuitive when it suits them. So when you see a good outcome, you want to take credit for it. In business, you see a profit, you see a result, and you immediately say correctly that whatever decision you made, whatever process you put in place, whatever product you manufactured at what scale must have been a good decision because look, we made a profit. There's a result. Where this breaks down is exactly in the places where it's most important, namely where it pertains to teaching. And the classic example is with parents and children. How many times have we heard a terrible story in the news where someone does something terrible and the parent says, I can't imagine how this happened, I don't know how this happened, or the neighbor says, they came from such a good home, this is how people talk when they want to make excuses and excuses in sin. When we know from Scripture that if the teaching is correct, the behavior will be correct and the outcome will be correct. Obviously, there are anomalies, but in most cases, it is the absence of a teaching or a corrupt teaching that produces destruction. People don't take responsibility for what they teach. In this case, Richard, what I'm saying is that if we are scriptural, we hold ourselves accountable as parents for the behavior of our children. We are responsible for what we teach. And if we don't have something wise to say, it's not enough to say, I'm not wise. Then get wise, open a book and study. 
learn something so that you have something to offer. You know a tree by its fruit. This is the classic example of how people demonstrate their hypocrisy. If you're a Christian and some Muslim acts correctly according to the gospel, you say, oh, well, they're probably lying or they're being manipulative or they were just lucky or whatever, right? You won't ascribe the good action to the Holy Spirit. And by the same token, when you see Christians acting horribly and doing terrible things, then you make excuses for them. Oh, well, you know, they were wrong on a couple of points or they just misunderstood a couple of things. You don't understand where they were coming from. You make excuses for your own people when they produce bad actions. This inconsistency, that is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And from what you're saying, Father, the other part of this is that the tree is the teaching. You can't have good fruit come from a bad teaching. If you're unhappy with your children, you have to look in the mirror. You have to examine what it is you've been feeding them. That's the question. You have to be held to account. You are not the tree. So people usually say, you know, a tree by its fruit. Well, those parents are bad parents, or that's a bad teacher, or a bad priest, a bad tree. No. We know that everybody is wicked, including you and I, Richard. So the question isn't whether or not we are wicked. The question is whether or not what we say is correct. And if Matthew is your reference, there is only one correct thing to say, which is the content of Scripture. And you can tell whether or not someone is giving a word that reflects this content, knowingly or unknowingly. As Paul says, there are people who act according to Scripture in the world who have never heard a word of the Bible because it's common sense. If you are teaching correctly, there will be a result that reflects that teaching. And notice how people, whenever there's a school shooting, they run to say mental illness. Well, if you consult with mental health professionals, they will tell you that these people who engage in mass shootings are not mentally ill. I heard a beautiful interview that was conducted by a journalist, I believe it was the New York Times, Richard, on this very question. And in most cases, these are young men who are entitled and who lack discipline and who are emotionally immature and who mostly relate to their Xbox in their living room and were shocked when they act out their ego on the world. You shall know a tree by its fruit. Something is broken in what we are handing the next generation that is causing suffering. You brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And this, Richard, of course, is what I was just saying, that we ourselves are vipers. We are wicked. So if it comes from us, it can't be good. How could we speak anything good? The only chance is if, as we are commanded in Deuteronomy, we replace our words with the recitation of God's words to the extent that they are inscribed on the seat of reason, which is the human heart, so that automatically, without a decision or a choice on our part, when we open our mouth, the words of Scripture come out instead of our own words. The way that Jesus pulls the rug out from under our feet is fantastic, because if you're reading quickly, 
you'll miss this. This is why I love this format of the podcast and being able to go verse by verse and taking our time. Up till now, he's been addressing the Pharisees, but now he's saying, oh, brood of vipers, yinimata, which can also be generation of vipers. It was translated in the King James. He's no longer simply talking to the Pharisees. He's speaking more generally. Up until this point, we've been on Jesus' side laughing at the Pharisees while Jesus is dressing them down. But then Jesus turns to everybody, all of you are vipers. This whole generation is vipers. This is all a brood of vipers. So how can you, being evil, speak good things? You do not have the teaching in you. And we know from the rest of Matthew, we're in chapter 12, that the crowds do not have the teaching in them. The Pharisees and the scribes do not have the teaching in them. And the disciples themselves don't have the teaching in them. You have evil in you, meaning, like you said, Father, you have your own personal teaching of your ego inside of you. You can't speak good things. You have nothing to say. The only hope you have is that the tree is renewed in a way, and I'm putting words in Jesus's mouth when I say that, which is always dangerous, but I'll go out on a limb here to continue the metaphor and say that the only way that this tree can produce good fruit is if the tree itself, the root is replaced with that of scripture, and then it is capable of producing good fruit. O agathos anthropos ectu agathu, the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. At first glance, it may seem to the addressee that Matthew is contradicting Jesus in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke when he says emphatically that no one is good but God. But Matthew is, in fact, continuing in that line in his summation of the New Testament as its introduction. Because you can only, out of good treasure, bring forth what is good if it is put in you by the one who speaks what is good. In other words, you are not righteous, you are not good, but when the instruction is put in you and controls you, it makes out of something wicked something good in God's eyes, which is his own wisdom reflected back. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil, because that is the treasure Jesus was explaining in verse 34, the treasure that comes from you. So the defining element here is the content of the instruction. No one is righteous, no, not one. But if you speak what is righteous and you submit to what is righteous, it will make you righteous for its sake. Keep in mind what Jesus has been doing throughout the entire book of Matthew. He's been teaching and then moving on to the next student and teaching and moving on to the next student and teaching and moving on to the next student and then getting disciples to go do that for him so that more people can be reached so the teaching can get to more people. There's kind of a false choice here as if one person could be a good person, another person might be a bad person. No, we know that we're all evil until this teaching comes. But here's the thing, when Jesus is the sower, like we see in Mark, when we take that idea in Matthew, Jesus is trying to sow some decent trees out there so that eventually some good fruit might come out on the earth. When Jesus is coming and teaching, what is the content of his teaching? It's the kingdom of his Father, the kingdom of heaven. In this kingdom, the teaching is for its own sake. The teaching is what the citizens follow in order to be part of the kingdom, which is the will 
expressed by the teaching of our Father in heaven. Jesus wants to open up this opportunity to accept this teaching so that one could be a good tree, so that one could produce fruit, but it is not to one's ego and it is not to the glory before human beings, but only in subservience and in duty to the God of heaven, Jesus's Father. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. At this point in the Gospel of Matthew, this should be obvious to the addressee, because we've been hearing again and again how it is the teaching that corrects our steps, it is the teaching that gives us sight, it is the teaching that makes it possible for us to bear fruit, and that we are to supplant our word with the word of the Father, that we are imperfect, but our Heavenly Father is perfect. And so if we were to speak anything else than what he speaks from his divine throne, we're going to have to answer for it because we've transgressed the throne. And it's careless. Why should you just speak if you're wicked anyways? You can never be righteous unless the word is put in you that gives you a righteous work. Remember that if you do something correct in Matthew, it's not a credit to you. It's a credit to your father. He receives all the glory. So he puts something in you to make you speak and act correctly. And when you dismiss it and speak carelessly empty words, the way people speak in verse 36, you're going to have a problem when you're asked to give answer for your words on that day. Having to give an answer for those words, it's a big problem. I mean, look how insanely high this bar is set. You produce some kind of word that is not a good fruit. It doesn't produce anything. You were saying that thing about that person, nothing good came of that, and it didn't seem like you were very interested in teaching the teaching of the kingdom. Where was that coming from? What are you going to say? Oh, God, understand that I'm basically a good person, but occasionally this unproductive, useless fruit comes out. And then he says, I noticed you were laughing at the Pharisees when Jesus was making fun of them for being inconsistent and thinking that you could get bad fruit coming from a good tree. Are you trying to tell me that even though you produce bad fruit, you're a good tree? That you somehow were transformed by this teaching when your words still sound like they're coming out of your ego? This is where the bar is set. If anyone has an illusion that in this setting, you are the good man, the good person, you can disabuse yourself of that because you're not the good person. We're all producing vain words all the time, and we're going to be held to account, in which case we just have to count on God's mercy. And verse 37, Richard, is the punchline that controls how we understand the expression good man in verse 35. For by your words you will be justified, the keothesi, and by your words you will be condemned. Ek garton logonsu, and the root of this word, of course, is dikeos, which is righteousness. So you will be declared righteous, not because of you, but because of what you speak. And you can only be declared righteous on that day if you mimic and recite the words that I put in you through my instruction. If you speak your own words, you will be condemned. This is what makes you good despite your wickedness. And this is very difficult for modern Westerners who believe in sincerity and authenticity. Scripture is not interested in your sincerity or your authenticity. It's interested in your obedience and your repetition of what it is telling you to say. 
if you know something is correct and your child is speaking sincerely something incorrect, of what value is their sincerity? Just say what God tells you to say, which will cause you to do what God wants you to do, which will result in a good fruit. And then you will be made righteous and deemed good on that day when the Lord comes, and it will reflect what he said, not what you said or what you offered. It's a very critical distinction that is the heart and soul, if I may say, Richard, of the Pauline gospel. The only hope that you might have on the last day is you can say, okay, I know I have all these wicked fruit, and I know that shows that the tree must be wicked. The tricky bit of this is in the parable, it assumes that one is producing only good fruit or only bad fruit. But I did teach once a good word came out of my mouth one time. God, can you say that the tree is completely rotten if a good fruit came out of it? And then God might take pause and in his mercy judge you on the one piece of fruit that was good in spite of all the other fruit that was wicked and declare you righteous and make you righteous based on that one word. But it's only going to be on whether he recognizes that word as one that he taught as the teaching of the kingdom and not on something that you said that was clever or something you thought was nice. This is why Jesus will not say that anyone is good except God, because how can Jesus judge without the permission of his father to do so? How can he judge until he is raised and he returns in glory under the authority of his father with all the martyrs to separate the wheat from the chaff? If Jesus can't judge, how can we judge? Now, we're given some perspective here on discernment, meaning that in life, if you want to understand what is from Scripture, you have to know what Scripture is saying, and you have to look at the outcome of what someone teaches. If you know what Scripture is saying and you repeat it, it will save you. It will justify you. You can't justify yourself. It will justify you if you are faithful to it, which is for the Lord to decide on that day. In the meantime, if you look at the outcome of what other people teach, it will protect your steps and you won't fall in the trap of the Pharisee. The funny thing about this section is not only is God giving you a clue as to how to become wise in everyday life, but he is explaining to you how you will be judged, which is the more important point. And there is a judgment coming, and we will be held to account for what we produce. And so sure is the Lord's faith in his Father's instruction that he knows if we would just repeat what he gives us to say, it will produce a positive outcome. It will produce a good fruit. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. Just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.